Welcome to Bayside's podcast. Our prayer is that this message will bring you some love, truth and life into all that you do. Well, we're in what we call a summer's series. I think we should call it Free in 23. We could just retrospect and rename it because (coughs) that is like just an amazing thing. We've just gone past Christmas and we're looking at various characters in the Bible. And uh, today, I want to actually focus on God, God the Father. So that's where I'm going. <clears throat> so I'm going to read from, believe it or not, one of the birth stories. So not in Christmas, but this is where I'm going. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to oh no, 35. I actually can't read this. My glasses are not working well for me, but I, I can get the words. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman. (coughs) The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign in Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, that to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So in the birth stories, Jesus is the focus. <clears throat> Mary is a major player, and Gabriel, the angel, is a messenger sent from God, sent from the Most High, the Lord God, the Lord God Most High. So God, the Father, is in the story, even though he doesn't appear to be the focus. So when we read the birth stories, when we read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, God is always there. (laughs) We could see God as this incredible divine backdrop to everything, and he's always there, and what's more, he is closer than you think. He is not distant. For some, Father God is distant. He is distant. He's unapproachable. He's forbidding. He's stern. bit like that statue of Abraham Lincoln in Washington, for those who know what I'm talking about. If I don't Google it up, you understand what I'm saying. High, unapproachable, unreachable, and stern. And so God the Father is not like that. He's like Jesus. If you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. John something or other, John 14, verse 8 and 9, that he is, I think that's the reference, John John 14, check it out. And so he is like Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, warm, loving, and approachable. I want to say that God is first loving and faithful. That is what God the Father is like. And so if you struggle with God the Father, hopefully today, you'll start looking at him in a different sort of a way. So God the Father does different things. He has different roles. And I just want to touch on three of those today, that of 
God the Father protects, he provides and gives identity. First of all, I'll talk about him doing that with Jesus and then with us. So here we go. So God the Father protected Jesus. Even before he, his birth, even before his conception, he protected Jesus. There's this line that threads through history back to creation that leads to Jesus. You can pick it up around the stories of Jacob and his family and Joseph. And from Judah, there is this line that goes through to David. When, Ju- when the family were in Egypt, they were saved from starvation in that famine. This tiny nation, so to speak, of family survived because of that. And so this line through Judah that goes to David, well, David, goodness me. I bet he didn't fully realise that, not by the way. He behaved. I mean, he was nuts. He was gung-ho. He was crazy. If he were motorbikes, he would have flown motorbikes over cars and things like that. You know what he would have been like. He's, he was lucky to survive. God protected him. And this protection went right through to Jerusalem when Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed by the Babylonians. People carted off into captivity, into exile. The line survived and it came back as the captives returned. Pick it up in the genealogies of Jesus, the name Zerubbabel. He is there as one of the leaders and this line just goes to Joseph. And so God protected him. And then Mary, getting pregnant before she's married, hey, she was due for being stoned to death. That's basically what would have happened to her. Jesus would have been killed there, but God through a dream, speaking to Joseph, protected her. And then when they travelled to, to Bethlehem, that's a rough journey, about 80 kilometres. The Roman roads probably didn't go that way. It's rough and it's dangerous, and they survived that trip to Bethlehem. And then in Bethlehem, Herod is going to kill all the children, and God war- warns them through dreams to get out of the place and go to Egypt. And they were protected. God continuously protected. They ended up back in Nazareth some years later. When Jesus was 12, they went to the temple for the annual Passover. I guess that was a family holiday. Probably the whole village went, Nazareth went. And as they're leaving, Jesus isn't there. And they go back into Jerusalem and took him three days to find He could have been, a 12-year-old is about so big, he could have been grabbed off the street and ended up in a slave market hundreds of kilometres away before you knew what had happened. God protected him. And then Jesus, when he was baptised with the Spirit, the Spirit filled him at his baptism. He was compelled into the wilderness through the Spirit And there's wild animals out there. And hey, folks, in those days, wild animals were a serious problem, plus the devil, and God protected him. When Jesus started his ministry, he preaches in the the synagogue at Nazareth, and he offends everyone. He offends everyone, Alex. That's what he did. And they're going to throw him over a cliff. I've seen that cliff. It's nasty. It's high. It's rocky and it's rough. And even if you survived the fall, you would be munched to bits on the rocks below. And 
you would have been a wreck for the rest of your life. You would not have survived. And Jesus just passes through the crowd supernaturally. So God protects him. God provides. The thing I love about God the Father is that he provided Jesus with a loving, godly family. A loving, godly family who would raise him. An earthly father who would teach him a trade. The Bible gives us the idea that he's a carpenter. You need to understand this. In those days, a carpenter didn't really do a lot of woodwork. You didn't, they didn't make furniture much because no one really had furniture. So there was a bit and you'd build houses and the houses were timber but mainly stone. So Jesus, in effect, was more of a stonemason than a carpenter. Did you know that? I got told that when I was in Israel. That's what our God told us. And here's a man who doesn't lie. Well, you wouldn't accuse him of lying anyway. Now I can tell you, he was scary. But <coughs> he was. He was ex-like special forces. He was ex-secret service. He was ex-president's bodyguard. You know, I'm not kidding. So, but Jesus would have then, with his father and later as an adult, travelled around that region. It's hilly. It's rough. In the villages, repairing homes, building houses, working with wood, working with stone. He would have been strong. He would have been fit. And he would have done that for years. He would have got to know the countryside. He would have got to know the region as far as Lake Galilee. He would have got to know the people and how the people thought. He built his people skills out there. He built his strength. And he had a lot of time on his own, spending time with the Father. So, in effect, he was provided with the right environment to get ready for ministry. God provides him with the power of the Holy Spirit to empower him to be what he is called to be, the Son of God on earth. And God provides for his needs, his friends, his protection, his disciples, everything he needs, God provides. So he's got a great father. He knew it. And so God also gives Jesus his identity. He is son of God. You can't get much better than that. You can't get any better than that. He is the crown prince. He is the heir to the throne. <laughs> but God will always be on the throne. So Jesus is on the throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is the son of God who is God. So the Father provides him with identity. So for us... <coughs> through Jesus, <coughs> for us, through Jesus, God protects us, protects us in different ways. He protects our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls. And if you think about Jesus dying on the cross, that we might be forgiven of our sins and be given eternal life, our souls are protected. But as we reach out to Jesus, as we reach out and receive his forgiveness, Father God protects our souls for eternity. We don't have to be separated totally from him forever. So he does that. He protects our minds. How many of us get stuff that goes around in your mind, especially when you're trying to go to sleep? How many of us get stuff, she said, and you try and relive the whole thing and redo the battle and two o'clock in the morning you're just worn out? and you haven't gone to sleep. <coughs> so he protects our minds. In the scripture, we have the gospel armour in Ephesians 6. And part of it talks about the shield of faith, quenching the fiery darts. He equips us <laughs> to deal with stuff that messes with our minds. And so the enemy will throw 
accusations and lies at you. Half of that stuff that messes with you is all lies and accusations. And it's stuff the devil wants to use to pull you down. So we're equipped with a shield of faith to deal with that stuff. And then we have the helmet of salvation. With salvation, we are saved. We're set free. God is on our side. And so those thoughts in our minds, those thoughts that mess with us, we're protected there. So, folks, read Ephesians 6. Read the whole lot and get the idea of the armour of God is there for our good. God has provided that to protect our minds and our hearts. Well, look at the Scripture does this well. Listen to this. I love this. Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Don't you love that? Don't you love it? People say, don't worry about it when you're just falling to bits. Don't you love it? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And you're thinking, oh, good on you, Rob. <coughs> this is the word that says this. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I encourage you, I exhort you, I dare you to take that scripture home, Philippians 4, 5 and 6, I think it is, yep, no, 6 and 7, just read those through, keep reading them through until they're burned in your heart, and so he protects us. If I asked for a show of hands and said, who's been protected from death in this congregation, I'd get a few hands, let's just have a few Got a few, Mal showed up even before I gave permission, but that's Mal. There you go, twice he said, and his hands all over the place. <laughs> he protects us. I look back over my, I used to say short life, but it's getting longer. <laughs> and I realised that there have been at least three occasions where I should, be, should have been killed. When I was about 11, <laughs> I was in Wyala. I grew up in Wyala, and for some of you are saying, yeah, it shows. Anyway... <laughs> And I was out at a place called the Shipyard Basin. There is this harbour. The ships come into Wild. It's called the Basin. It's about half a mile or so wide. I'll say it now, those measurements because I haven't worked out the metres. And on this sort of the part, getting close to the sea, there's a little jetty and some couple of pontoons and a ramp. <laughs> and the yachts are put down there and you can go swimming there. It was great. You used to ride your bikes down there along causeways and you could go swimming there. So one day, it's about 11, and uh, I was on the pontoon, and these two kids on you <laughs> came swimming into the pontoon, puffing and huffing. I says, where have you been? They said, over the other side. I said, oh, if they can swim over there, I can too. I thought they meant the other side of the shipyard base, half a mile away. They meant the other pontoon, 33 and a third yards away. <laughs> so off I went. <laughs> it got a bit windy, uh, got a bit rough out there, and I got the other side, and I stood up, and I thought, ah. Oh, I've got to swim back. I could have got up on the rocks, <laughs> walked down the causeways, through the blast furnace, which is not a good idea with those shoes on, and <laughs> around past the end of the shipyard and back. I would have been there hours doing that. So I swam back. And I'm going across there. It was getting rough, and the yachts started coming in, and the crews on the yachts are yelling abuse at me. They never stopped to pick me up. <laughs> and I just stopped, got back, and never thought any more about it. Someone dobbed. I got into trouble. I have no idea why, but I knew what I was doing. I could have drowned. Some years later, in my early 20s, 
I was with a mate and I was driving the car and we were driving to Adelaide from Wyala and we were on the road from Port Wakefield to Wyala. Some may remember, it was just a two-lane highway there and it was up and down, it wasn't a great road and it was at night so we could see cars miles ahead of us, you could see their tail lights, pulled out to pass a car in front of us, all of a sudden a car just popped up straight in front of me, headlights straight in my eyes and I <laughs> wrenched the wheel and I still can see the edge of the bitumen coming up as the car's rocking up. The other car going past my corner eye, straightened the car and rocking, and my feet shook until I got to Adelaide. That was close, a fraction of a second. In the 70s, I was working in the steelworks in Wyala, and I was with an apprentice, and we were wiring up some boards, switchboards and whatnot, and I had my hands in this panel, and there was a live contact that shouldn't have been there. And all of a sudden, I was screaming. I was being electrocuted. Get me off, get me off. I couldn't do a thing. And I still see this apprentice running at me with his shoulder and barreling me off and sending me flying. I, I would have died that day. What I'm trying to say is God has protected me more than at least three times that I know. And again, this story's out here. There's many stories. <laughs> and here's another one. Back in the day when Maureen and I were pastoring Southern Gateway Community Church in the gym here, we had a speaker and he was the chaplain, he was, he was the chaplain at like at Bathurst, the supercars. So somehow the church got a chaplain in there. And so he was there and he was telling us this story. And it was the beginning of one of the Bathurst weekends and they'd got everyone together, the, the organisers and giving instruction and whatever. And then they asked him to pray. Well, he's the chaplain, so that's what he does. You don't think about that at those things, do you? That there's a chaplain there praying for him. So he prayed a brief prayer and basically saying things like, keep them safe, Lord, and lift them up. <coughs> One of the early races was like uh, cars with two people in the car. There's a husband and wife in this particular car. And it went off the track and there's a long, steep, embankment going down for a long way and they went flying over this and got caught up in some saplings and some trees and somehow precariously didn't go any further and they said later <coughs> when we went over there it felt like we were being lifted up keep them safe lift them up and they were lifted up so through jesus god the father protects us he provides for us I've been provided over the years. Every Sunday, just about, you didn't so much do it today, but in a way we sort of did. You come out here and talk about the miraculous provision God has given you. Anyway, let's see some hands from miraculous provisions. People have been given to miraculously. Oh, just about pretty well everyone. <laughs> and if you didn't put up your hand, you need to have a look. Maybe you have been. <laughs> and if you haven't, Father God, do some miracles for them. I mean that. So we've got those stories. <clears throat> Back in the early 80s, Maureen and I and the family went to the Gold Coast. I had this incredible job to go to, really well paid. It was going to set us up for our years in college. Well, helped us set us up. So as we drove up to the Gold Coast, all of a sudden they put the interest rates up. We know about that, don't we? And all the development on the Gold Coast stopped, including my job. And so <coughs> we were in a bad way. We'd occasionally get a bit of work here and there. 
And I made friends with this Christian musician who lived down the, down the coast. This particular Saturday, he drove up with his wife. He wasn't doing that well himself for that matter. And he'd won $20 on the gold lotto. He was buying lottery tickets. Ooh. But he was an Anglican, so that was all right. <laughs> I want to say he was a great, and I want to say there's some amazing Anglicans out there, and he was one of them. And so he'd brought, he'd won $20. He'd come up to see, they came up to see us, he got to give me $10 and this massive box of veggies, so we probably got his winnings. It was like awesome. Uh, we had that many veggies, we were able to share them with some friends that we'd made up the road who weren't Christians who were struggling like we were. And I said to Maureen, something like, if God can give us $10, he can give us $1,000. On Sunday, <laughs> we go to church and a, a family says, well, come home and have lunch with us. I want to talk to you. And so we had lunch and they said, you know, we had this ministry. They were into types of people, into ministries all over the place. And uh, we finished the ministry, but there's still some money in the account. We feel it's got to be given away and we feel it's to go to you. It was $1,000. $10 a thousand, and $1,000 in 1982 went a long way, I can tell you. We were able to, again, pay the electricity bill for those friends of ours up the road. Electricity, by the way, comparatively still wasn't there like it is now. God provides. <coughs> now, I'm going to tell one that's a bit personal. You thought, call that personal. This is more so. As you know, we have a, a daughter who lives at Narracorp, <coughs> and uh, She's in early 50s and has some serious health problems and she also is now having to live on her own. And so she continued teaching for some time but <coughs> with a health issue she had to stop. And so, so with that she would do part-time teaching, which was usually enough, and some tutoring. But summer comes and you've got five or six weeks of no income. And so last year we helped her with that. And this year, but she's thinking, oh, I don't want to go to mum and dad, and I don't want this. And she's praying, and she's praying, what am I going to do here, God? And she literally heard God say this, don't worry, we've got this. And so she's thinking, wow, what do you mean by we? Who, what do you mean? And she realised her heavenly father and her earthly father. So God does provide. And I'll tell you what else he does provide. He provides you with a loving church family. He provides us with that. When I went to theological college in the 80s, one of our lecturers, the Reverend, Reverend Dr. John Akers, very stern voice and an incredibly warm and gifted teacher. He was a wonderful man. And he was telling us one day how he'd grown up in a family of wharfies. His dad was a wharfie. His uncles were wharfies. His brothers were wharfies. Everyone was wharfies. And some of the women worked in the wharfies' offices and, and things like that. And so he became a Christian somewhere in there. And then in his late teens, early 20s, he went into theological college. His family were aghast. How could a son? of ours do something so disgraceful as to be going to a university. They saw the universities as the enemy, the theological colleges. As, how could they do something so disgraceful? And they disowned him. 
They disowned him. I think my family wanted to disown me too when I went, but they didn't. Anyway, no, well, maybe. They weren't sure about it. <laughs> they weren't sure about it. So the college became his family. And when he was 21, the college gave him his 21st birthday. That's his Christian family. And so God provides you with a church family, with a Christian family. And the last one is that God calls us sons and daughters. I'm going to read from, Phil- from Philippians. No, I'm not going to read from there. I'm going to read from somewhere uh, in the Bible. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, 1, verse 4 and 5. If you say it's in the Bible, you can't go wrong. I know one guy said when he was younger, younger Christian, he could say anything to people, and he'd say, it's in the Bible, and they wouldn't know. You know, he'd say, burn the hands worth two in the bush, it's in the Bible. And I've actually heard Christians believe that <laughs> because they don't know their Bibles. Anyway, it's worth knowing your Bible because someone might pull the wool over your eyes. Okay, verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. <laughs> I'm not going to go into this one too much because you really need to be writing, writing books about it because it's so much in this. But <laughs> it means that we're brought into his family. We are sons and daughters of God. That is your identity. Everything else is is not your identity. That is your identity. So if you're a farmer, that is not your identity. If you're a minister, that's not your identity. God, you are a son or daughter of God, and you need to open that one up. (laughs) We have the privilege of standing with Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father. That is awesome. That is like not only getting the front row, but that's getting up on the platform, so to speak. Not that I really approve of that approach, but there you go. That is absolutely awesome. What I encourage you to do this morning, instead of talking about just small talk over your coffee, talk about what it means to be a son or daughter of God in your small groups. Do the same. Talk it out. Teach each other what it means to be a son or daughter of God. That is such an amazing thing. You do have an identity. (laughs) I mean, you say, I don't know who I am. I can say, yes, I do. You're a daughter of God. Start thinking about that. You're a son of God. Work on that. Go to the Father and say, what does this mean to me that I'm your son? I will stop there because I'm getting wound up and it's not good for me. (coughs) It's not good for Maureen. Um, Anyway, I'll just keep going. So there we are. God protects and he provides and gives identity. I just want to go back to this protection one and Mal might come up, (coughs) this protection one. God protected Jesus all through his life. (coughs) But what about the cross? What about the cross? The thing is, God had a plan for this world, and it was to do with the cross. It was to do with Jesus, and Jesus had to live his life to get to the cross. And so Jesus left his home in heaven, came to earth, was born as a human child, and grew up on earth. 
And here, as the Son of God on earth, he had to learn the ways of God, which he did. He had the Holy Spirit. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He cleansed the leper. He did miracles. He just loved people. People knew that they were worth something because this man, Jesus, who is the Son of God, <laughs> would speak into their lives and change their lives. It's absolutely awesome. And so he had to die on the cross as part of God's plan, as God's plan to bring men and women back to God, to destroy the power of sin, to break the power of death and darkness, to take the authority away from the devil. And so in dying on the cross, he sets us free. And I know being free doesn't always feel like we're free. <laughs> Sometimes we think, where's this freedom that God is giving us? But we are set free. I'm going to read from the book of Romans. It's Romans 3, verse 24. Now hear this. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This means like no more guilt, shame, looking over your shoulder, having to earn forgiveness. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And so you are forgiven. You are set free. This is what God the Father has done for us through the death of Jesus Christ. And I know many of us <coughs> struggle with our lives, for some of us with health, some of us with relationships. Sometimes it's just stuff that messes with our heads. Sometimes we <coughs> just spiral downwards with struggles in our, our minds and hearts and wondering if we're ever going to get out of it. For many of us, maybe, hopefully not many of us, some of us, there's just pain that just won't go away and it, it haunts us. And when we cry out to God with this, we echo the cry of Jesus on the cross when he calls out to his father, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Some of us feel like we're abandoned. We feel isolated, alone, and we're never going to get out of it. And the cry of Jesus, where are you, Father God? You've abandoned me, echoes our cry. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead, and if he rose from the dead, we also have life beyond whatever is going on in our lives today. So we're into 23, free in 23. What a great line. Free in 23. This year, when you read the scriptures, you read the gospels, when you read the birth stories, see our Father God is this incredible, divine, wonderful, loving backdrop who is always there and is closer than you think. Look to him for his protection and provision and your identity. Going to get the band up, Ellie, if we could. And I'm going to just hang around here at the front and a few of us will pray for people if, if you need prayer. For some here today, you're not too sure about God the Father. You like Jesus, but you're not too sure about God the Father. 
Well, I want to tell you, as I mentioned, that you look at Jesus, you see the Father. Just the same. Chip off the old block. Father like son, son like father. They're just the same. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So I'm going to give you opportunity for prayer. Maybe you need to ask Jesus to introduce you to the Father. You discover the Father's fantastic. He's not stern and forbidden. He's absolutely awesome. Maybe you know about Jesus, but you need to ask him into your life, to hand your life over to him and ask him in. Your life will change and, be, and begin for, for eternity from there. Maybe you have struggles in your mind and heart. Maybe you have sicknesses or you have issues with people and relationships. Maybe there's someone else who, who worries you. I encourage you as we worship to come down and some of us will pray with you and I know God will be right in the middle of, the, middle of it. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can visit us at baysidechurch.org.au or listen to any more of our podcasts on your favourite listening app.